This is Concepts, where two pretentious sirs quibble over ideas that explain today's world. Phil Shea and Steve Rose. My name is Phil Shea. I am writing for MakeASkillJack.com, and you can find more writing by me at HittingAJack.com. Steve? My name is Steve Rose, and you can find more about me at SteveRosePhD.com, where I write about mental health and addiction. Welcome to the Concepts Podcast. Welcome back. Today we're talking about willpower. Before we get into that, please leave a review. We need reviews. Any feedback is great. It would actually be great if you could leave negative reviews with five stars. That could be kind of fun. Oh, that'd be and fun. We now. may even read them on the show. But yes. right now, Ooh. I think by now, Spotify should have made it so that you can review podcasts on your app. Last time I checked today as of recording, you can do it on your phone, but you can't do it on Mac, at least Mac laptops. So there's a way you have to tap on the three dots and then rate podcast. That's basically it. They don't even require you to write anything. So oh, wow. if you want to write something snide, maybe do a different platform, but either one helps us. So thank you. Ooh, I, I love the idea of five stars, but writing something negative. These pretentious jerks just like the sounds of their own voice. Five stars. <laughs> that's, a, yeah, that's a running joke from Steve's parents whenever we hang out around them. They don't engage. We will purposely amp it up over and over again, making it the most ridiculous thing ever just to see what it'll take to get a reaction out of them. And I think they're kind of used to that. Do you remember the time you asked your dad, the detective, whether it would be a saw with a deadly weapon if you're using a, was it a, a prosthetic arm? Do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> no way yeah your dad's like no it would just be assault and he's like well what if you sharpen the fingers so that's actually <laughs> dangerous and he's like uh i don't i don't know why are you asking me this <laughs> <laughs> yes that's such a good question though assault with a deadly weapon if you sharpen the prosthetic arm to be a deadly weapon actually that reminds me of something they do and apparently in prison maybe just canadian prisons but What's some that? of the Formerly homeless people that I was working with a few years ago told me about how they would take a razor blade, a toothbrush, like one of those cheap ones, and a lighter, and they would melt the plastic to embed the the razor blade in it and use that as like a slashing weapon, basically. So like, I guess you could do that with a prosthetic arm. Yeah, and then it would be assault with a deadly weapon rather than just regular assault. <laughs> yeah, or like bionics. Like when we start getting like robotic arms that are actually stronger than human arms, what would that be then? Yeah, there's a whole legal question here, and we could we could debate this all day. Yep. But will we? No, no. I guess this is our fun fact and random divergent before getting to the actual show. Okay, so <laughs> now I guess, well, I mean, some shows have different segments. That's where I got this idea, the review of reviews. So they would talk about the best and the worst reviews and whether they thought they were accurate and then this could be just like random fun facts i don't know again if you like what we do or you like a particular thing please let us know Anyway, so on with the show. Steve, what what is it about willpower that you hope to talk about? Well, I think it's a fitting time to talk about willpower, being that this episode will come out sometime in January. This is a time where people are often committing to New Year's resolutions, making some really big plans about their gym attendance this year, and which may be different due to COVID. But maybe in terms of dieting, you know, you're thinking, I'm going to stop eating fast food. I'm going to do all of these great things. And oftentimes, everyone already knows that New Year's resolutions 
options are not kind of the most successful thing. And the answer when you ask the average person of, well, how do you keep doing something? They just say, well, just use more willpower, try harder. And as an addiction counselor, I also hear this among the family of clients who can be quite critical and and say things like, you just need to pull up your socks, mister, and try harder. And, you know, these kind of very patronizing approaches to addiction. White knuckle it. You can do it. Just use more willpower. Well, if it was that easy, they probably would have figured it out already. And so that's why they're not seeing me to tell them to use more willpower or working with other things, which is really quite the opposite that allows them to use less willpower. And we can get into kind of the practical stuff around that after. But first off, let's define it, this concept here, because it's debated quite a bit in the literature, as you know. So how would the everyday person define willpower? What do you, what do you think comes to mind when they hear that? I don't know. I'm probably skewed because I know some of the research that you're referring to. I guess they would just say it's, I don't know if they'd call it a resource, but it's a thing that you use to force yourself to do something that is undesirable, unpleasant, and gets you something you want, I suppose. Yeah. And that actually does fit with some of the definitions. The American Psychological Association published an article we can cite here that summarizes different definitions of it. And that fits the one that says it's the ability to delay gratification, resisting short-term temptations in order to meet long-term goals. And so that's that. You're resisting something that's temptation. Another definition, which is interesting, it says the ability to employ a cool cognitive system of behavior rather than a hot emotional system. So it's kind of using these cold and hot metaphors of acting based on kind of your plans and your logic and your reason rather than acting on your kind of impulses and emotions. Right. That actually is very close to Daniel Kahneman's system one and system two. But I actually prefer hot and cold because even as I'm saying that, I can't remember which one is system one and which one is system two. Same with, I guess, our emotional systems have the sympathetic and parasympathetic. These are just all different names for the same sort of one is aroused, elevated heart rate, and the other one is calm and rational. Yeah, this is kind of that classic split in psychology of the affect versus reason. Yeah, another thing you're kind of touching on is the hot-cold empathy gap as well. When you're cold state, you will make hypotheses about how you'll react in a hot state, but then when you're in the hot state, you act very differently and often completely counter to what the cold state believes. Right, exactly. And that's what a lot of Jonathan Haidt's research points out. We think we are rational riders on this elephant and we kind of dictate where the elephant goes by just saying, go over there, elephant, and then it's supposed to go there. But if you think about this <laughs> metaphor... Of, I think you're just butchering this metaphor. I think what we think is we're riders in a chariot. We are guiding the horses in go. front of us and they're actually responding. But what the actuality is the elephant one. Do you want to elaborate what the elephant one is then? Yeah. We think we are in a chariot dictating where we want to go and planning for it and then saying, go that way and it goes that way. But we're actually like riders on an elephant where we are the reason and let's say the elephant is the emotion. Now, if you think if you're actually riding an elephant, is it going to go where you want it to go or is it just going to kind of go around and and do what it wants and you can kind of nudge it on the side and it can maybe respond a little bit, but it's really the one in control here. And that's what uh, Jonathan Haidt uses as an analogy for the place of reason and emotion. Also, I'm just going to say, I don't know if that's actually true if elephants don't go where you direct, but let's just bear with it. Let's just assume that's what it's like. The other one is the press secretary. I always like that one more, especially after the era of Trump. (laughs) Yeah. So would you want to share the press secretary metaphor? (laughs) Sure. So the press secretary is our rational thinking mind and the president would be our emotional mind. The president makes a declaration and then the press secretary has to be like, oh, shit, uh, how do I sell this? How do I make it make sense? Because that's 
kind of how it works. Because like, think about an instant where you were very angry based on a misunderstanding. And then as soon as you find out that the misunderstanding is evident and that it actually isn't the person you're angry at's fault, then you're going to be like, but still, I'm, I'm angry. Like you'll keep <laughs> trying to find reasons to justify why you're angry, even though they're probably aren't any in that context. I never understood that metaphor as clearly as I did after seeing the Sean Spicer Trump dynamic. Sean Spicer, if you're not familiar, was the press secretary for Trump for quite a significant amount of time. And he was always kind of sent out there to explain away things that didn't make any sense and that there wasn't a whole lot of evidence for but he was always kind of sent out there and be like nope this is the way it is and kind of rationalizing everything but in this metaphor Sean Spicer is kind of the reason and the reason is being directed by Trump symbolizing the emotion and the emotion is really in control here the reason what it does is justify it after the fact explain it away and so we think our reason is in control but really our reason is often just kind of telling us stories about what our emotion wants us to do. Yeah, exactly. We're just finding reasons to justify what we want to do. Oh, yeah. And so the reason versus emotion split is very useful to kind of frame this conversation. When we're talking about willpower, we're often you know talking about the reason trying to control something that it really has difficulty controlling and debatable whether it can or not. And so that's why we look at different strategies, which we'll talk about. But I want to get into the definition that is a little bit up for debate, but I really like it. <laughs> and it's Roy Baumeister's definition of willpower as ego depletion. And do you want to define it? Sure. Ego depletion is a resource, kind of like a currency that we have in our head. It acts sort of like a muscle. If you use it short term, like for spurts, then it'll be weaker throughout the rest of the day. Kind of like if you work out, like doing bench press, then the rest of the day, your chest will be a little bit weaker. But over time, it gets stronger. And it's fueled by glucose is what the theory was, that by having proper nutrition, your brain would consume the glucose to be able to expend more effort. But if you didn't have glucose available, even in the form of, say, ketones, I believe those can act similarly, then you would have less willpower. But this doesn't seem to hold up in a number of ways. And the reason it's controversial is because of the replication crisis, where a lot of his research didn't kind of hold water. Though, as Steve alluded to, it's what we've kind of talked about a couple times called metaphorical truths. It might not be entirely true to reality, but thinking in this way can still be more helpful than not. Yes, and I would even debate that perhaps there's more even literal truth to it, research-based truth. Yet to be seen. Well, there are some meta-analyses that actually look at this and they do show that perhaps some of those replication studies were actually not measuring ego depletion at all. The instrument they used to measure it wasn't measuring that thing. So that would be a lack of validity, I guess you can say in the research. Yeah. And then it's like specifically because we can often measure things that are not a thing we think we're measuring. So like something yeah. else that is somehow related. And that's why you need something called a manipulation check, which is usually something to make sure that you're actually checking the thing that you're looking at. So what was it they were actually finding or looking at in those studies then? Yeah, they were having people sit down and do an activity where they thought it was going to, let's say, deplete their willpower. And this was crossing out like every I in a paragraph or whatever. It doesn't matter, whatever letter you choose. That actually sounds very familiar to a study that I actually was a research assistant for, but continue. Yeah. 
Well, it's a common method, I guess. And so you, you can do the easy version where it's just cross out all of the eyes in this paragraph. And then you can make it harder by saying cross out every third eye. And then you can kind of add complexity of rules to it. Cross out every third eye every other time and then cross the fifth one every other time. And you can kind of add complexity. So you're kind of drawing on that person's cognitive system, the cool system, as we said. And they're having to really use a lot of willpower to resist stopping because they would probably prefer prefer to just hang out and relax and, and not do this really absurd busy work and crossing out these random letters. And so the hypothesis is that this should be depleting one's willpower. And then they give you a task after the fact to test how much willpower you have. And it didn't really kind of stand for a lot of people and they actually still have the same amount of willpower. Now the debate is, does this actually deplete someone's willpower? Maybe it does for some people and maybe it doesn't for other people. Maybe other people enjoy the task and they're like, ooh, I'm really good at this. I, I like this. And so the experiment is not valid in that sense. So what I'm hearing is that basically the theory of ego depletion as like this fuel that we can replenish and spend on different things, that might still be valid, just that the research that was studying it might not have been looking precisely at that because we don't know, like there's a confounding factor there that the thing that's supposed to spend willpower could be very enjoyable for some people or it could be not a big deal to them or maybe they're only looking at agreeableness because people that are less agreeable are going to be like, well, screw this, I'm not continuing to do this pointless task. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's so many factors there. So it's still a for debate and then it's not so clear that this is not replicable. Either way, we're not here to talk about methodology. We're here to... That's a teachable moment there, Steve. Because <laughs> like, if we're going to talk about science, like I find that when people talk about science, they say science says X and it's like, I get no, what they no, mean. No, 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 no. But like, science is a method that we can all use. Like, yeah. You're doing science in your kitchen if you're making a kind of bread and you're doing small tweaks and recording the tweaks that you did. That's still science. So yes. I actually think it's important to kind of go through some of the method a bit more. So okay. yeah, but anyway, I think we've covered that. I think we did it in a way that was accessible too, because methodology can be very boring. Yeah. But when people say like nowadays, oh, just trust the science. I mean, I'm all for trusting science, <laughs> but it's <laughs> there's like a whole kind of understanding of what is science. This is one thing I was thinking about today. I mean, related to this, because yes, trust the science is good. But the thing is, science is also in flux, though there are varying degrees of certainty. So if we have like 100 studies with the same conclusion, then yeah, we can fairly conclude that that's likely to be true, unless it's all been funded by like an unscrupulous benefactor that wants a certain result. But there are all caveats on here. And what I was thinking to do with this kind of adjacent is speaking publicly like this, it can be very difficult to not accidentally signal something that we don't intend. Like I found out the other day that apparently just saying BLM all the time instead of Black Lives Matter is apparently something that only the right does because they don't want to give them the statement. They don't want to say it out loud. So they just say BLM. So I'm like, have I been doing that? Just <laughs> thinking to myself because BLM is just way faster to say. But yeah, Black Lives Matter. Great. There. Right. Well, it? it's very easy to, to step on landmines, that's for sure. And so we are having conversations in good faith, with openness, flexibility. And if we say something wrong, well, let please. us know. I mean, yeah, let us know so we don't keep saying it. But also, please give us the benefit of the doubt. I mean, as much as that, well, I mean, is that really going to make a difference for anybody that doesn't want to? <laughs> oh, they asked us to give us the benefit of the doubt. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Oh, I know it doesn't change it. But relating to the new name that we've been coming up with for this podcast, Pros and Concepts, we talk talk about the pros and cons for and against kind of all sides of an issue. So that kind of is falling in line with the spirit of what we're trying to do here. Yeah, attempting to do that, though, as well. The thing is, I also look at people that think that centrists are basically just stopping the progress. Basically, that's why we're center left. We are, I guess, 
from some people's perspective, we are basically just shills for the right because we will point out the credence of their side. And also, I guess the way that that group that kind of condemns centrists is that they see it as the one side is super racist and the other side is not. So they're like, well, partial racism. That's not where we're coming from. <laughs> that's not what we want. So it's just ah, it's just so sticky, basically, to try to be reasonable because anybody that's on the outlier is going to think you're just on the other side, I guess. Right. Yeah. And that's the spirit we bring to concepts, <laughs> like different actual concepts, like willpower, for example. I guess in us talking about it in this way of the research, the methodology, common understandings of it versus like kind of seeing it from more of an addiction perspective, we're kind of going deeper into it. So the purpose is openness for depth and not kind of an agenda of sorts. Yeah. And also we do our best with the research and we will get things wrong, obviously. I mean, I've had to correct myself in like three, I think, inserts so far, including the one that was released, just not like two episodes before this one. So I think the whole thing is we're not meant to be experts. We're meant to be a jumping off point, like I guess Malcolm Gladwell apparently claims to be, because like there's going to be more research, there's going to be new things, but this is just what we understand, what we've discovered, what our education has told us so far and going from there. Mm, Yeah. And so related to metaphorical truth, which we can do a whole episode on metaphorical truths. If this concept of willpower and ego depletion is, let's say, not true with a capital T in the research, I at least find it metaphorically true as in it works in practice. Using this understanding of willpower when working with people, if it works, it works. Whether it's real, (laughs) you can kind of see it and measure it or not is less relevant. So you keep talking about how useful it is and people are probably like, well, tell me the usefulness. How can I apply this? Oh, right. Well, because we said metaphorical truth, let's start with a metaphor. And so going with ego depletion, I thought of the idea of willpower as like a phone battery. And you can charge it up at the beginning of the day, but throughout the day, it's kind of slowly depleting. And the more you use it, the more you have your phone on, you're using different apps, the more it's depleting. And so by the end of the day, it's relatively low depending on how much you used it and needs to recharge. What do you think of that metaphor? No, I like it. It's probably better than the one I was thinking because like, I like the more fun that we're all meat robots and we have the fuel constantly running and certain efforts will burn through fuel faster. I was thinking of a car at first, but then I realized you're right that it, it is constantly draining. So if a car is just sitting there, its gas doesn't change. So that's why I was like, okay, well then we're a machine that is constantly burning fuel just to be awake, but that's way more convoluted. I like the imagery better, but yours is better. Yeah, it just kind of came to me as I was writing. It's weird, the power of writing, you know. When you, wow, you're just such a you're such a genius. You're just so smart. <laughs> <laughs> so smart, yeah. But I was just like in mid-paragraph and I found myself saying this. I'm like, wow, this is actually really... I've been trying to think of it without writing. Like before I write, I'm like, I have to think of the perfect metaphor and I couldn't think of one, so I put off writing. <laughs> I just like forget it and just started writing and then the metaphor came. It's very strange how that works. Yeah, that's like the practice of just like when you have no ideas and they just say just start writing and people are like, well, I don't have anything to say. No, just start writing literally anything in any scene, any part, just anything and then your mind will just start filling in the gaps. Yeah, if you're trying to write something, start by writing it bad and very rough. <laughs> but yeah, this metaphor, it's like you get up in the morning and bring it to the willpower. It's constantly being depleted, like getting out of bed in the morning, first thing you do. Well, maybe the first thing you do is grab your phone. But the second thing you do, there's willpower being spent in getting into the discomfort out of the comfort of the sheets. And so it's depleted a little bit there. Drive, if you're commuting, maybe as we've talked about in the past, you don't like your commute yeah, so you, much. Yeah, the thing that you're a big fan of, <laughs> that you actually like, oh, I don't mind it. Yeah, going to some place, like going to your own private office where you're counseling online. I wouldn't mind that either. Being shuttled away to a private office in a comfortable car. Now, if you are 
being jostled around and your commute and you're just expending willpower just being there. There's another one. You get into the office, they got some maybe muffins or donuts or candies out. You walk past them. You're like, oh, I can't have it. I'm trying to be good or whatever. And then, you know, it comes to lunch. It's like, oh, I don't want to eat my boring sandwich. <laughs> so for those candies, I think this is the flaw in the experiments. This is a better illustration. Yeah. Some people can walk by a bowl of, say, peppermint hard candies. Like, I'm not tempted by that at all myself. But other people might not normally be tempted, but since they've forbidden candy from themselves, they might be tempted. This is all kind of leaning back into the intuitive eating episode. But yes. it's just different stimulus for different people will be more or less tempting. Yes. So I may not expend willpower when I walk by a bowl of candy, but I may expend willpower if I walk by a bowl of chips. And so there's different triggers for different people. But either way, maybe you're facing a situation like that throughout your day or on the drive home. You have to drive past the McDonald's. It's like you've created a bit of a habit where you kind of go in and get this thing every day. And now you're like, oh, I can't do the thing. <laughs> yes. Yes. I actually had that in China during the summer. There were these small shops and apartments on the first floor of each apartment building in my complex. And I would just buy these ice creams. And I realized that every day, if I didn't have it, I would crave it. Yes. But this might be, again, I keep spouting off things I've heard that I haven't checked. This is one I have not checked, but rumor has it that McDonald's purposefully went in very hard for research on getting the smell of their fries to waft in the air around McDonald's no uh, so way. that people when walking by or driving by would get a whiff of it and be like, oh, McDonald's. Again, I mean, I wouldn't put it past them, but I don't have any hard facts confirming this. Oh, that is so good. Well, it's completely possible. I wouldn't put it past them either. Yeah, but that very much plays into your thing. So if you want to keep going. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you can start developing habits in this way too and then trying to break those habits. Like there's a lot of willpower involved and then you're trying to cook dinner and and you're tired and now you're using more willpower, it's going to drive a lot of people to drink. Yeah. Wait, so that, that smell of McDonald's or these, these things, are they triggers or the cues? What is the formal language for that? Do you know? It depends on what term you use. I, I like to use the word trigger. Yeah, that word's got a lot of stink on it these days. It does, of the right. Yeah, it does have a lot of stink. <laughs> it's such a useful word, though, because you're like, yeah, that triggers me, like you could say, but instead you have to be like, that causes me to overreact, or that touches on my past bad experiences and makes me overreact in a certain way. Right, yeah. I use trigger in a non-political way, yes, but it's very hard to use it non-politically when it's going to be interpreted that way, maybe. Yeah, exactly. So it's a cue or whatever. It's something that signals to your brain that you want to do something. There we go. Whatever. It's too complicated. We'll use the word trigger. Have you heard about this? This is semi-related. I keep derailing you, but I mean, this as topic, do. I don't know how much. Yeah, as we do. Uh, so <laughs> there was actually, I don't know if you've heard this research. I remember hearing it in first year of university where they're saying that people who overdose are more likely to overdose in new settings because in a repeated setting when they're in the same setting continually, there will be triggers that cause your body to crave whatever the substance is, especially when it comes to chemical dependence. And when in that setting where you would normally have it, your brain recognizes, oh shit, we're going to have this huge wave of whatever chemicals coming. And so your brain stops producing that and actually starts pumping that thing out of your system. So let's say it's dopamine. It's like, oh shit, a ton of dopamine's coming. We got to bail out everything and make sure there's room for this extra dopamine that's about to hit, which makes the cravings that much stronger. And then when the person does it, it has the usual effect. But in a new context, there's no signal saying that this huge dump of dopamine is coming because you would normally take the same amount. You know, you take like, I don't know, let's say five grams, whatever it is. If you take five grams in the first context, your brain's ready for it and able to compensate that massive amount of the chemical coming in. In the second setting, when you're in a new context, your brain's not 
not prepared and it's just like being blindsided by a huge wave. Is this accurate to what you know? Yeah. The idea of contextual tolerance really is what that sounds like in terms of you can develop a tolerance to a substance in a particular context. And there is general tolerance. Like, of course, it will make you more tolerant to it generally, but you do it at a different environment and yeah, your body is not adapted and it's not kind of ready for it and it can have a different effect. So set and setting, they always talk about in the use of psychedelics is relevant to overdose risk and tolerance for sure. Is it though? Because like set and setting is like, I'm probably being pedantic here. Sorry, folks. But set and setting for psychedelics is like your mindset and then the physical setting you're in. So if like you're in a chaotic environment and you're in a bad mindset, you're going to have a bad trip. I get what you're saying though. (laughs) Yeah. But the context is in people, places, things as in the setting, I guess you can say. And so this idea of the willpower is being depleted all day leaves you vulnerable to doing things that you don't want to do. So how do you have more willpower? Or hold on, wait, this is, I don't know if you still have it on the back burner there, but I know you have more research on the New Year's resolutions because you're saying to do something, but also to stop yourself from doing something also, right? Right, yeah. And so willpower... I think I'll talk about that in a minute here. I know exactly where I want to place that research. How do you have more of something? It's like saying, just put more charge on your phone tonight. Like your phone depleted so fast last night, charge it harder. It's like, well, if it was that easy, I would have done it by now. I'm charging it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'd love to have a battery last all week. Yeah. It's like, uh, well, just charge it harder. No, well, that's not how it works. So when I talk to a client, what addiction counseling is, you would imagine it to be like a motivational speech that allows them to gain more willpower. What I'm actually doing is helping the client use less willpower. And if you think of this metaphorically, it's like, how do you use your phone more efficiently throughout the day so that it still has a charge at night? It's like if you're going on a long hike somewhere with your phone as the GPS, are you going to just take your phone and rely on that GPS for that five-day hike? Or are you going to bring other tools like a battery backup, a compass, a physical map, other types of tools in the toolbox to get you through the hike? Because if you're just relying on the phone battery, you're going to be kind of vulnerable to the bears. I was actually thinking of something more mundane than that. What's that? Well, I mean, say it's just a normal day. You have to get through the entire day. It's going to be a long day and you have no chance to charge. How would you go about saving battery? Well, I mean, you could put it in airplane mode. You could shut off your Bluetooth. You could do these things and check in more sporadically finding less ways to use it, but using it in more concentrated doses so that it will last longer, right? Well, that's part of it. So there's part of it that's about using it more efficiently. And there's other things, meaning you, you require other tools as backups, other supports. And so willpower is overrated is my kind of stance on this. There's actually a book entitled Willpower Doesn't Work, which is actually quite good too. Right? Willpower doesn't work. I say it's useful and overrated. And this is why. So if you're going on that hike, you're going to want some battery back. What's the first kind of tool that I would suggest? Well, that's looking at your physical needs. Uh, Are you completely tired and not sleeping? Did you eat enough? Like very much basic nutritional needs. Are you kind of withdrawing from caffeine? That's going to make it hard to really a lot of things. And so having your physical needs met as good as possible. You know, nothing's perfect. We're not talking talking about like eat the perfect foods because that on itself is problematic. No, no, you got to be perfect. Yeah. 100% Captain America style. Well, yeah, or else it doesn't work. No, but even saying that, 
it's going to make people use more willpower to try to be perfect around their eating and sleeping. And that's counterproductive because now you're using willpower to do the thing to get willpower. So what's like the 80, 20 rule? What's like one big thing that you could kind of cut out that would really help you out? And some people it's like, Oh, I'm just sleeping five hours and the other three hours I'm scrolling on my phone. Interesting. I guess I can just try to look at that little piece of things and maybe that'll be 80% of the work. I'm going to call out this because I keep coming across people who feel called out whenever I shed this fact. So Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker goes over the fact that most people need eight or nine hours of sleep. We all kind of know this, but a lot of people seem to believe or be under the presumption that six or seven hours, maybe five, maybe four is enough. That's it. I function perfectly fine. There's no cost to that. I just, yeah, a little fatigue, a little coffee, a little pep in my step. That's all I need. And the rest of the time I'm fine. I'm functioning on all cylinders, but it's actually a chronic state of, well, one, that kind of sleep deprivation is considered a low grade brain damage continually because we don't actually have a biological mechanism to make up for that. And two, when you're chronically fatigued like that, your performance is probably like 70% maybe or somewhere in there. I'm just ballparking it. So metaphorically, it's like only charging your phone to 70% each night. There we go. Yeah, but your battery is reading 100% or at least you think it is because it's been so long since it's been 100% that you don't know the difference. Yeah, it's like you're deluded. You look at the screen, you're like, I'm fine. It's 100% when really under the surface, it's only 70. Yeah, that's exactly it. So getting enough sleep could be a huge piece because having a solid foundation allows way fewer willpower resources throughout the day. Because when you're underslept, just like being awake is using willpower. So just idling, like even when your phone's not being used, it's just sitting there angry and <laughs> it's batteries depleting. <laughs> you're kind of painting exactly what I outlined in a very ambitiously titled, I think it was How to Reach Your Potential on my Hitting Eject website because I was going over the reasons that people tend to fail at their big ambitious goals because usually it's not like I'm going to give up soda or pop or whatever you call it. Instead, they'll say something like, I'm going to get completely fit. So that means no candy, no junk food. I'm going to make every single meal. I'm going to go to the gym every day after work. I'm going to work out for an hour. And then they do that for a day and then they quit. So what I argued in that post is that it's much more better to start off with equipping you with the tools you need. So you're kind of saying that, like get enough sleep. Maybe instead of quitting McDonald's entirely, you start with a salad and then you don't have to finish your food, but you can eat a little bit and encourage yourself to throw out the rest so that your brain is basically given the nutrition and tools to function to allow you to control yourself better and to make better choices long term. Yes. So this first strategy to using less willpower is very much meeting your physiological needs. It's having a solid foundation, which makes everything so much easier. And so let's turn to the next one here. Wait, hold on. I want to talk about your experience more recently getting enough sleep. Do you remember this? Oh, when I randomly will take a nap once a month and realize, so this is what feeling normal is like. (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh man. So I've been underslept this entire time because Steve's got a serious coffee habit going on. pretty serious. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how that relates, but your coffee habit. Yeah. No, I was going to talk about, I just remember you having like this revelation being like that basically, wow, like I'm really well slept. I thought I was doing great before and now I'm just like a million bucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's just once a month, I'll just get this random nap and then realize it's like I was born anew into the world and like <laughs> just fresh. It's funny how that doesn't exaggerate out to like actual sleeping habits. Then Once a month, he has a revelation and no, no <laughs> translation to no, I've, daily I've life. No, I've and that I'm aiming for nine hours a night. So it actually has. Yeah, yeah you do, yeah, I do, I do that, eight. Yeah. So I aim for nine, I get eight, hopefully more nine later on. But it makes a big difference, let's just say. And so looking at sleep, 
looking at, are you eating enough? Not even considering the type of food necessarily, if it's going to take too much work, but like, are you even eating? You know, that's a big one. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not, we're not saying like eat only salad and boiled chicken breast. This is like, are you actually just eating food in general? And, you know, adding physical exercise is always a nice piece, but that takes willpower if it's something you don't want to do. So next one, removing the triggers. Now, this is not a black and white thing. Let's say removing the cues. I'm just going to slot that in there to make it a little less ambiguous. Removing the cues from your environment that make you want to desire something, whatever it is, whether it's a food or whatever. We're removing as many as you can. We can't have a perfect world free of them, but there's things that you could do. Like if you drive past that McDonald's every day and it's just like, uh, I need that. Maybe taking a different route. And so you're not even faced with that cue. If you have this bowl of candy on your desk or whatever, well, maybe just removing that. Or if you have chips in the cupboard and just not having it in the house. Or just removing it from sight even yeah. can be oh, enough. out of sight. Out of sight, out of mind. And even out of house, out of mind even more. But simple things, you know. Though, I don't know, out of house, I mean, that, that does work because you can't eat it if it's not there. But what a lot of people end up doing is they end up going to like a corner store, spending more money to get the same thing they just had and end up maybe picking even a a worse option because there's more stuff there. So like it could be better to have just some options in the house. Like this is what we talked about in intuitive eating, like doing all or nothing. I mean, drugs is a different story, but yeah. if we're talking about foods, it can be better to just have some snack that'll satisfy the craving because yes. typically you're craving something like if you've been training yourself to eat sugar for instance then you could instead have like peaches or your favorite fruit mm. prepared there so that can curb the cravings instead yes. but i mean that's really ambitious so i'd say even just like i don't know snack size treats that you can have like one or two but i guess you're gonna have to play it by ear yeah and this is all like small steps whatever works removing little things that make sense taking a different route again this is the scientific method for yourself you have to figure out what you react to what you have best and just ignore people when they're telling you that's wrong like we could be wrong for you i mean like even the sleep thing some people think that if you sleep nine hours you're just lazy but listen to your body and figure out what it is you actually need yeah even an addiction when it comes to illicit substances there's like this really kind of more black and white territory of like somebody's addicted to cocaine you just can't be around it at all it's very very there's a very low chance you're going to resist that compared to other things alcohol it's oftentimes often more than not it's advisable to just if you're going to stop drinking to not have it in the house really yeah. really advisable in most cases honestly for those reasons i feel like alcoholism and gambling addiction are among the two worst ones because you constantly have the reminders everywhere because money is a thing that for gambling that's the substance and then alcohol is just constantly pushed especially at this season right yeah and alcohol is a hard one gambling there's advertisements and i talk to a lot of people who just see these ads all the times constantly triggering or cueing them to want to do the thing but even just having money in your pocket right yeah oh Money is the ultimate gambling trigger. That's what I mean. Yeah, it's like you can't escape it. No, no. And I mean, there are strategies around gambling addiction where you have somebody control the finances. You don't have a credit card. I mean, there are things you can do, but there's like only so many limits like technology addiction. You can only manage it so far. But actually for some people, and this is a rare thing, so I wouldn't advise this generally, but I have gotten so that some people are very comfortable being around alcohol and they're just like, yeah, I just don't even want it anymore. Whatever. My partner has it. That's them. That's their decision. It doesn't commonly happen in a fully progressed addiction. But if it's kind of a minor, it's getting into substance abuse, but not like 
full on progressed addiction to the point where it's like really destroying a lot of stuff. If you can catch it in that early stage, and I do talk to some people who do, there are ways that you can kind of come back to having it, not even feeling like you're resisting it. But in the vast majority of cases, that doesn't necessarily happen. Right. So I guess we talked a little bit of one strategy. So is there more strategies you wanted to touch on? Two strategies, meeting your physical needs. Okay. So the first one, first one was meeting physical needs and starting small, adding in stuff. Second one is managing triggers or cues as much as possible. So taking things out of your environment or replacing them in your environment. In Baumeister's book called Willpower, which is the one that is like the main source of a lot of my knowledge on this. He talks about how you make smarter choices. You use willpower strategically, like I was saying with the cell phone, to choose when to say yes and when to say no. So for instance, your friends invite you to go to say a buffet together and you in your mind, you're on a diet, let's say, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to go there and I'm going to resist all temptation. I'm going to be great. I'm just going to hang out with my friends and not focus on the food. But then you're walking by the buffet. It smells great. You see them enjoying the food. Everyone around is having all this deep fried goodness. And it's just very, very difficult. So you deplete your willpower very quickly in that setting because it's constant bombardment with temptation. Whereas instead, he recommends using that willpower at the strategic point of saying, no, I can't go there. How will we go here instead? Yes. Or even just opting out entirely. So yes, it still requires willpower, but it's a one-off yeah. decision instead of a constant drain. Yes, this brings me to my next point planning ahead, which is exactly what you're talking about. Using the willpower in the planning rather than in the situation, which could mean saying no, but it could also mean saying yes to an event with the plan of how you'll say no to being offered the substance or whatever. For example, this is not saying yes to like meth parties and like planning on how you're going to turn it down. No, this is more about... (laughs) Well, unless you're an introvert and just doesn't want to be invited to anything, yeah. This is about if you're going to a wedding and you're trying to stop alcohol, Alcohol. Now that's a hard one because it's socially acceptable. It's often open bars. It's going to be pressured, pressured even. even. Yes. And maybe you don't want to tell everyone your business of like, well, you know, kind of seeing a little issue with it. And, you know, you, maybe you don't want to go there. No, instead, if you're a woman, just say you're pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> she's been pregnant for 10 years. Yeah. She's never shown a day in her life. <gasps> oh. <laughs> so what, what are you actually <laughs> suggesting in that context? <laughs> yeah. So th- whatever works for the individual. And it's, there's no one size fits all suggestion here. Maybe some people are comfortable saying that they'd have an issue, but how are you going to say it? And this is something I work with people on. What are you feeling comfortable about saying? What do you want to say? How would we say it? And we kind of look at specific phrasing. So we're kind of planning through the night of, okay, you're going to walk in, you're going to be here. This person's probably going to do this or say this. What are you going to do then? What kind of reason will you give for that? Or what places will you hang out? Who will you be talking to? So, you know, it's very specific to the situation and kind of coming up with some plan going into it gives you that a little extra confidence of in that moment when they're like shots here shot shot and they have it in your face you kind of already saw that coming and you're like you have the thing that you're going to say for example like oh no early morning whatever and you just keep it at that but you've thought about it and that removes the willpower because you didn't have to really think about that in a high pressure situation you just kind of had it at your disposal yeah like a flow chart sort of yeah this kind of makes me think of like the loud Zoo's definition of enlightenment, which is knowing others is wisdom, knowing yourself is enlightenment. So in this context, you need to figure out what would be things that are going to set you off and how can you best deal with them? Because we have to understand ourselves to do that. Yes. And I would say most of addiction counseling is exactly this point here of this whole collaboratively planning of that person's very specific environment of really managing willpower so that they're not having to use as much to the point of addiction counseling is about how to use less willpower rather than more, which is my kind of stance on it. Other people may, may disagree. 
Let me just kind of power through a few very quick here then. Creating habits uses less willpower. Habit stacking. Yep. So you start with a small thing you want to add in and then you can add in more over time, but habits put you on kind of an autopilot. So if you can put yourself on autopilot for healthy behaviors, that makes it easier. So it's like, okay, after this, I go to the gym and then after the gym, I do that. And you're not really having to think about it and therefore use willpower. So you can kind of use it that way. Another one is finding a why. So there's a really great quote I like. When you have a why, you can figure out any how. Is it Eric Fromm? Yeah, from Nietzsche. Yeah. So this is like, well, why do you want to stop drinking? It, it sounds like a strange question to ask from a common sense perspective, but I'm actually genuinely curious about that and I linger on it for a long time because you know a lot of people are coming from a place of well because I should that actually reminds me before I let that go Chris Voss actually has something in that line for, he's a negotiation expert he's got a book called Never Split the Difference his suggestion for why questions why usually challenges the person you're kind of accusing them of something that they shouldn't be doing like why are you doing that so he says to be very careful of that specific word unless you're asking why for something you want them to move towards justify movement in that direction so for you you're doing it perfectly obviously and I would usually replace the why with a what. So that would say, what makes you decide to stop? And what is it about now that led you to reach out for help? And you see the way I phrase that. It's not like, well, why do you want to stop drinking? No, no, no. But like saying, why do you want to stop drinking makes them justify why they want to stop drinking. So like they're coming up with more reasons to stop drinking is his argument. Oh, yes. Yeah. There's a nice technique called the readiness ruler in motivational interviewing. You can use this very quickly on people if you want to kind of figure out their why. You ask them, how ready are you to change the this thing on a scale of one to 10. And then they say, well, I'm kind of at a, at, a, at a six. And then what you do is you say, well, what is it about a six? Why not a zero or a one? And then what that does is it immediately makes them have to justify why they're at a six and not a zero or a one. So they're coming with positive reasons why they want to do something, why they're prepared to do something, why they want to do something. And that's another kind of tool to use. Whatever number they say, you just ask, why aren't you zero or one? doesn't matter what number they say, unless they say zero or one, which then it doesn't work. But you get the idea. So that's kind of a tool there. Finding your why kind of inspires you to do something rather than coming from a place of I should. So when I hear someone saying a lot of should statements, like I should do this. Oh, I should eat better. You know, I'm always like, well, do you want to eat better? Because <laughs> I'm hearing a lot of shoulding all over yourself, as they say. Actually, like thinking about that question, it's funny because when you phrase it that way, well, do you want to eat better? You're like, well, yeah, I do. I feel better when I do do yes. that. So. But I do want you to talk about the research you found from the New Year's resolutions. Yes. yes. And this perfectly builds off what we just said about the why. Because a why is a positive goal. It's why do I want something is like it's adding something into your life. I want to eat better because it makes me feel good. And so when we look at creating goals from that, what do you want to add in rather than what do you want to take out? It actually does improve commitment to that goal. And there is a study, a large scale experiment on New Year's resolutions. It's actually the title of it. Approach oriented goals are more successful than avoidance oriented goals is the conclusion. An approach oriented goal is I want to go to the gym. I want to eat healthy. I want to take care of myself better. I want to sleep more. An avoidance oriented goal is I want to stop being Remove lazy. Remove junk food from my diet. <laughs> yeah. Stop doing this. It's the negative. So one's positive adding, one's negative to take away. Yeah. So wait, the approach ones are better, right? You said? Yes. Approach goals are, are, are stronger. Oh ah, God. There's so many things I wanted to talk about in this. Another one was like, you can't just say like, I'm going to stop doing this. Cause like, it's like, I'm going to stop thinking about cats. Like 
if you try to do that with nothing to replace it, supposing you have a fixation on cats, if you start, try to stop doing that, the very act of doing that without having something else to put in its place will make you think more or do more about that particular thing. Yes. So you need to come up with ways to stop that. Another tool that I was going to throw in was linking things together. So making it so like when you listen to a playlist, if you listen to it in order of music, you'll find yourself, if you hear one of those songs in the wild on like the radio or something, you want the next song in your repeatedly played playlist to play next. But it's not going to because obviously that's not how the radio works. But in the same fashion, we can do that with habits. So every day you get off work, we've talked about this briefly before, but you go, say, if you're going to the gym, you go to the gym and a success condition for that would be you just go to the gym, you drive there physically, you get out of your car, you walk in, you use a toilet, and then you can leave whenever you want. And that will be the small steps incrementally to keep adding it in there. Do you want to recap briefly the tools we've given so far? I just want to say what you just said is habit stacking. So it's building a habit, which is the one we just talked about. And creating habits uses less willpower. But that's related to approach-oriented goals of what do you want to add in versus avoidance-oriented goals. So if someone says, I want to stop drinking, I'll ask them, well, what do you want? And I just kind of verbal judoed that from an avoidance-oriented goal to an approach-oriented question and see how that went there. But these are all kind of tools and techniques to use less willpower so that you can have the life you want whether it be free of kind of an unhealthy habit or, or substance or whatever that's kind of my understanding of willpower and its place in the bigger picture it's hugely overrated and necessary to manage so i guess it's kind of like a lever with the fulcrum you put the fulcrum there the thing that you wedge the lever between the object and the where your part you're pushing and you kind of use it to leverage the things you're trying to do you don't use it to try to lift the boulder you use it to try to just like maximize the effort you put in to get the boulder out of there without having to physically lift it yes oh that's that's a really nice visual metaphor i like that well i think it was a little convoluted but thank you anyway so recap one, add in small things that can help your brain to do what you need to do, meeting your biological needs. Let me go through the list because I have it written in front of me. Quick tips on using less willpower so that you can do more. Meet your physical needs like sleep, nutrition, not perfect, just good enough. And then kind of building on that as you go. Removing triggers, managing triggers or cues or kind of planning for different routes or putting things in drawers or in the cupboard or not having it in the house at all. So managing those things in your environment that sap willpower. Next, be planning ahead. So you're planning for high-risk environments, whether you go to a different environment that's lower risk or how you kind of communicate interpersonally inside of that higher-risk environment. Next would be creating habits so that you kind of slowly stack them so that it's on autopilot. And so you kind of drive to the gym, you just do the normal thing, you show up, you're not really thinking about it. And so you're not sitting there at home like, oh, I have to go to the gym. Should I go or not? Do I have time? But making it a habit, you're not really depleting willpower thinking about it. The next one would be finding your why. What is it that you want to add into your life versus what is it you're taking out of your life and really framing the goal in that positive sense? And why do you want to add in these new things even? If you want to add in the gym, well, why do you want to add in the gym? What would that do for you? Oh, well, allow me to, to feel this way so that I can... X, whatever it is, show up for my children, you know, whatever kind of your why is or have a clearer brain so that I can show up for this purpose, this other purpose that I have. I'm really uncovering that and kind of fueling you versus the 
kind of constantly looking back at the thing you don't want. You look forward to the thing that you do want. Uh, that's kind of the summary. What are your thoughts? I mean, I've kind of interjected them all throughout. So I got none. I mean, we've both read a lot about productivity and being better in that way. So I'm sure there'll be more things to come up with in the future. But yeah, I think that was a decent crash course in, I guess, the metaphorical truth about willpower. So thanks for showing up. Thanks for tuning in and supporting us in the ways that you guys do. And again, please leave a review. It's something that helps. All right. And if you have already fallen off the January resolution, well, you can always make the choice to turn right back to it. Yeah. Tomorrow is a new day. You can start a new goal then. All right. Thanks again. Bye. (laughs) Bye. You're shameless. Completely shameless. Ooh, we can talk about that.